0: good morning good morning good morning welcome to another episode of injured reserve podcast with your host me myself and i mitchell anderson i appreciate y'all tuning in and whatnot uh if you think you know few things to cover, man. Uh, this past week, NBA recently came out with their old decades team of not one, not two, but three teams. Uh, truth be told, I was a little disappointed. Um, you know, I mean, first team respectable for the most part. And I understand uh, the decades team starting from 2010 to now, obviously that's what they're going off. um, the list originally, you know, it was respectable. You got you, they had Steph Curry, uh, Kevin Durant, LeBron James. Uh, you know, the last two, I to be honest, I disagreed with. They they had James Harden and Kawhi Leonard. Now, truth be told, no disrespect to Harden or Kawhi Leonard, and you know, Harden winning MVP, Kawhi Leonard winning Finals MVP. Not once, but twice. You know, you got to look at... The way I look at it is... I felt like they were being very disrespectful. Considering the fact that that third team... They had Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade. Now, I don't know who or or, or what... Like, who's in charge... When it comes to this kind of committee of selection. But man, low-key... Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, deserved to be on that first team. No doubt about it. Granted, yes, the last uh, three, four seasons, I would say probably the last three seasons for Wade were injury-riddled. But truth be told, uh, Kawhi was injury-riddled, too. He didn't even, you know, out of the probably previous, what, seven, eight seasons that he's played in now, uh, eight seasons, he... He's never played a full season, and the it wasn't not this previous season, but the season before that when he was in San Antonio, he only played nine games. You know, in the first four seasons, you know, he, he wasn't really astonishing, you know, truth be told, he was still riding on the, 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 the old horses of Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and Tim Duncan. Uh, not not to discredit anything he did, because he 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 was a significant factor for when they swept the Heat back in the twenty fourteen uh, finals. But um, you know, the, the thing with James Harden as well for him, the, the reason why I, I I would have James Harden Kawhi on that second team. Because with James Harden, he didn't do much in his first three seasons. He's with Oklahoma City, and at best, he was averaging 16 a game. And he didn't become a full force until he went to Houston. And, yes, the last two seasons, I mean, can't take anything away from him. I mean, he averaged 36, and the season before that, he averaged 30. But, I mean... You look at you look at just his his performance overall when it comes to the playoff time, it's been the same results. You know, he's kinda it's quiet. It's a quiet exit. He de- he just doesn't doesn't know how to, you know, become that guy to close out the game. They've had Golden State Warriors on the ropes, not you know, back to back seasons now. And he just He's choked So you gotta take that Into credentials as well When it comes to this All NBA decades team And LeBron James Being that all NBA first team You know Not taking anything away from him Rightfully so I would have him my first team no doubt But he's not on that first team Without Dwayne Wade Cause think about it The 2010's What it start out as Miami Heat Dynasty, the original Golden State Warriors before the Golden State Warriors. Except Golden State drafted their talent and just acquired Kevin Durant, free agency. Miami Heat, they collaborated. They went and joined one team. LeBron, with that infamous, you know, big old meeting at SportsCenter on ESPN. I'm taking my talents to South Beach, joining Dwayne Wade, their best friends. And then Chris Bosh later on signing. And then later on adding on <clears throat> Excuse me, a lot of key role players. Shane Battier, um, even the eventually uh, aging superstar Ray Allen. Arguably the greatest three-point shooter of all time. Eventually he'll be the, the second greatest uh, three-point shooter of all time. Because Steph Curry, it's only a matter of time before Steph will climb up there. So they add a lot of key role players. Mario Chalmers, Shane Battier, Ray Allen. uh, Chris Anderson, a.k.a. Birdman. (laughs) So so the 2010s start out with with the Heat. And initially their run in the finals was ugly. You know, losing to arguably one of the biggest upsets in NBA history in the finals. The Mavericks, they were old. Dirk was way past his prime. He was around 33, 34. Not like he wasn't like old, old, but he was getting there. He wasn't the Dirk of 2006, 2007 finals Dirk when he lost to Wade. Uh, Wade and Shaq in the finals. They had Jason Terry, Jason Kidd, Sean Marion, all these guys well past average age of probably like 35, and they beat a prime heat, a 27-year-old Wade, what, 24-year-old uh, LeBron James, 26-year-old Chris Bosh, or actually, I think Bosh was the same draft class as Wade, now that I think of it. So all those guys well in their mid20s, high 20s, and they fell short of a guy's well past their heyday against the Dallas Mavericks. So they started off a little rough in the 2010s, and Wade led that team and you know he led that team in points and trying to get that dynasty rolling against the Dallas Mavericks. LeBron struggled, you know succumbing under that pressure, and eventually they bounced back. Right? They finally get that first title. So the Miami Heat, Wade, be able to show, show LeBron James the way. And LeBron James be able to finally enable that beast mode. Be able to summon that nine tail beast like it's Naruto. And finally be able to get that first ring under his belt. Get that pressure off. Start off 0 2 in his career in the NBA finals. Finally gets a ring right So they get that ring and they beat Oklahoma City Thunder They're pretty much At that point the Thunder were pretty much Babies 2012 Russell Barely a day over 21 Kevin Durant still a baby James Harden wasn't the James Harden we knew That we know now You know So they beat Oklahoma City in like five games I believe. They might have swept them. And then the year after that, um I can't really say I have only seen the highlights, but cause this was the summer of twenty thirteen. And at that time, back then I was still I was just joining the army. So I didn't I joined yeah, I went off to basic training in the summertime. So I missed everything. Uh, The summer of 2013 was wild um, on its own because that was during the whole Aaron Hernandez case and whatnot. So, that's a discussion for another time. But 2013 NBA Finals, uh, they beat the San Antonio Spurs and I just remember (laughs) my brothers writing me a letter while I was in basic training and saying how Ray Allen hit that three-point shot and... Basically, that was, that was, I, I I hate to sound like Skip Bayless, but that was no doubt one of the biggest three-point shots in NBA final history. When, I wouldn't say it's the biggest three-point shot, but it's up there. Because LeBron missed that three-point shot, game six, you know, in Wade County, at home in, in Miami. And <coughs> San Antonio, they couldn't get that board. LeBron misses the three. Bosh grabs the board. Passes it out to Ray Allen. Ray Allen steps back three. Tie game. And eventually, they go into OT. Miami wins. They ride that wave into game seven back home. I think it was back home. (coughs) So, and, you know, they seal the back-to-back victory titles against the San Antonio Spurs, who are also well, well past their prime as well. Um... Duncan isn't, you know, the 07 Duncan that we knew when they won their when their championship against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, Kawhi is just a baby. Uh, I think he's a rookie actually. During uh, he's a rookie. Um. So the Spurs, uh, Parker, Ginobili, all these guys well past their prime, and oddly enough, they get that revenge game a year later back in the finals, and the Spurs sweep them. And the rest is history. LeBron goes back to Cleveland, and y'all know the rest. So what am I saying is that LeBron James, probably as, mu- as much as the stats as he put up, and I've always said repeatedly time and time after again, not saying it's a bad thing, he's the paint Manning of the NBA. Nothing wrong with that. He has all the stats. He has all the accomplishments. He has all the glory. He has all these achievements, this and that. He's going to break records. That's cool. That's sweet. Good for him. Not discrediting any of that. But we're all going to know he just, you know, at times when it came tough, he fell short, just didn't have as many ships as Brady. Or Brady as. The equivalent is Michael Jordan. Nothing wrong with that. He'll be, you know, eventually he'll be top five all the time. Some people might say top ten. That's fine, too. It's a big list of NBA categories for players out there. Depends how you list it. Some people, you know, have big men in their top five. Respectfully so. But nonetheless, I mean, <coughs> LeBron James... He's, Jupiter to told, without Wade, without those two titles in Miami, it's like, you know, it's hard to say Batman and Robin because Wade was Batman before LeBron came to Miami. He, he won it without, without LeBron before. Yes, he had Shaq, but Shaq was pretty much peaked at that point. He was about 10, 11, 12 seasons in before signing off into free agency uh, into Miami. Or it might have been trade or free agency. I'm not sure. But that was back in like 05. Because <coughs> Shaq and Kobe had their little feud and they didn't talk for a minute. But that was gossip and drama nonetheless. But not to get sidetracked. Wade and LeBron. That was, you know, it was it wasn't. It was never really Batman and Robin. It was Batman and Batman. So, so true enough. Wade won't have those two titles, but LeBron won't have those two titles without Wade. So you got to put Wade on that first team All NBA. Cause if it wasn't for him, then wait, I would have. If they, if that never happened. Then we're having a different discussion I'm sure LeBron's putting up all the stats But he'd be All-NBA second team Because if they didn't win those two titles Then Can't put LeBron in an All-NBA first team Not hating, just saying Lack of ships So And then So Replace Kawhi Leonard with D. Wade And then Kobe Bryant His last two seasons uh, They were a little rough Because obviously his body was breaking down The last three, four seasons Because he had the Achilles And then I believe he had the ACL Uh, His body was taking its toll Everything about his body You know, give him the red signs Of like, look man, it's time to go Time to ride off into the sunset <clears throat> so he only played six seasons out of that previous decade. So I know a lot of y'all are kind of be like, well, the last three seasons he hasn't played since then. How can you have him in the whole NBA decades? Simple. Same reason why people have Kawhi Leonard on that All NBA first team. It's because Kawhi, he didn't, he's, one, he's never played a full season out uh, of his entire eight-year career. And the season before this, he didn't play the entire season. He only, only played nine games. And the first three seasons, he only averaged about 12 points a game. So, so you take Kawhi out of there. <coughs> and then... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <laughs> but with Kobe Bryant... As I said, his 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 legitimate only bad season was in 2013. Only playing six games because of uh, the ACL. 13.8, 14 points a game. Um, hurt and all. And even then coming back the season after that, 22 a game. Only playing 35 games, but still averaging 22. Doing the best he could last season. Or his final season, not last season. Averaging 18. Doing what he could. So. It's just. It's just not only. I look at players and how they will their team. Now James Harden has done a fantastic job. But he's always had Chris Paul. The thing with the Lakers is that they started to fall apart as well. They started to dwindle. Paul Gasol started to dwindle. Derek Fisher, the role player, wasn't the role player of the early 2000s. Uh, Lamar o- Odom was having his personal issues. Um, Ron Artest, or meta world piece. He, he wasn't the meta world piece of you know, 2008 or Pacer status, for that matter. So, But with Kobe, I mean, man, you take it in credit from 2010 to 2016, he only had really legitimate two bad seasons. Technically, I mean, the season that he didn't play fully, six games in his final season, 13 game, or uh, 14 points a game when he tore his ACL, and his final season where he averaged 18. The rest of that, he was he was between 22 and 27 points per game. So. Four out of the last six seasons in, into the NBA old decades, I'll take Kobe Bryant's season over Kawhi and James Harden. Just for the significant fact that James Harden and Kawhi Leonard had more of a better, more supporting cast, and it wasn't as toxic at the time. But clearly we now know that James Harden and CP3 aren't seeing eye to eye So, there's some toxicity in that locker room. And Kawhi Leonard, who knows? There was some issues and mishaps and some toxic levels of negativity in that locker room when he was in San Antonio. But truth be told, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, had the better supporting cast, had the better roster. And even... You know, they rode that roster for for a championship. James Harden rode that roster with Russell Westbrook and KD. James Harden was more of a role player at the time in OK City. Kawhi Leonard, you know, he was a rookie. He was a baby. Nothing wrong with that. But he was coming off the bench at, at sometimes, you know. So he wrote he rode that wave with Tim Duncan and Parker and Ginobili. Without without them, he he doesn't have you know two championship rings. So the NBA all the all NBA first decade team without a doubt. Hey, LeBron James, Steph Curry, KD, respectfully so, totally understand it. James Harden, meh. Kawhi Leonard, meh. Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade. Y'all got to put some respect on those gentlemen's names. First ballot, Hall of Famers. Kobe Bryant, top 10 all-time. Dwayne Wade, honorable mention. He's almost on that top 10 all-time. He's top 20, easily. But with that being said, I'm going to take a quick little break. And y'all are listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Andrew Reserve Podcast. So right now uh in Dallas territory, good old Jerry Jones. <laughs> the Dallas Cowboy fan base, without a shadow of a doubt, is one of the most annoying fan bases I have ever experienced. Uh for those who don't know, I was stationed down in Texas when I was in service for three years. Uh now, I forgot to start this in my intro, but Loki, uh, my hearts, my thoughts, and my prayers, my condolences for all the victims. I was I was stationed down in El Paso, Texas, and uh, the recent shooting down there at Walmart and Silla Vista Mall. I've been, I've been there quite a few times, so uh, for all the victims that were lost, it was it was very heartbreaking, no doubt about it. So shout out to all those families, you know. I, I pray, uh, you know, I hope every one of y'all get all the help you need, physical, mental, whatever it may be, but just had to put that out there, but that's where I was stationed at for three years down in El Paso, Texas, and one of the things about Texas is, man, Texas in, in itself, that fan base is super diehard Cowboys, I mean, man, the cowboy fans just swarming every every year come around this time of the year. Uh, very rare Texan fans. I rare, very rarely saw a Texan jersey. <laughs> um, so there's some drama right now in Dallas, and what my Pittsburgh Steelers had to go through last season. Ironically enough, with Lavon Bell holding out. Ezekiel Elliott is planning to do the exact same thing If he doesn't get his payday Now True enough Whatever extension Zeke is looking for We know this is going to be the highest payday He's going to be looking forward to Because he most likely won't get another big payday like this Because the expectancy And prime rate for running backs isn't that well The best is probably around 31-32 uh, but it's rare. Adrian Peterson did it for a little bit and Barry Sanders for a little bit and Emmitt Smith. But the the, the physicality that a running back takes. Uh, I mean that there's some of the reasons why run some people some owners don't want to pay running backs a lot of money cuz they take such a high high price of, you know, getting beat. And the Los Angeles Rams are paying for it now. Todd Gurley, 14.4 mil average salary per year. And he hardly had any touches in the Super Bowl because he was hurt. But he claims that he was fine. I think he was fine. So I don't know the whole stance on that. We never really got a clear-cut answer from Sean McAvee. So that, that didn't make sense to me. Next, you know, Levon Bell, the Jets. They paid. They paid him 13 mil a year. And Pittsburgh refused to sign him. And Pittsburgh, they showed what you know the rest of the NFL and New England Patriots are capable of doing this as well. They show that runbacks can be expendable. As great as you are, you can be replaced. You can be expendable. As much we want to pay you, we think about the team first. We calculate and see what we can and who cannot afford. So when they're due holdouts, Pittsburgh was like, okay, bye. <laughs> and that was it. Uh, the Cardinals with David Johnson, he's the third highest paid. This is all in order. So we got Ty Gurley, 14.5 mil. Then Le'Von Bell, 13 mil. David Johnson, 13 mil. Then uh, Devontae Freeman, eight eight 8.3. LeSean McCoy, 8 mil. Shaquan Barkley, 7.8. Uh Jarek McKinnon, 49ers, 7.5, Leonard Fournette, 6.8, Lamar Miller, Texans, 6.5. And then finally, Ezekiel Elliott at 6.2. Now he I know Ezekiel Elliott. Now is he holding out? He's seen these paydays. Right? He's seen Todd Gurley get paid. He's seen Levon Bell get paid. And as much, you know, he is not like some squabble running back for Dallas. Truth be told, um, Dallas isn't like Pittsburgh or New England. They, they don't have that certain setup. And I think Jerry Jones thinks his team is like that, but it's not. It's nowhere near like that. Uh, you you got to take into account that Pittsburgh, we, they constantly draft a running back every year. New England Patriots constantly draft a running back every year. And that's fresh legs every season. It's not some, you know, 28, 29-year-old back, uh, you know, that can be injury-prone. And we're riding on, you know, some second-tier running back swapping carries. Not saying that's a bad thing and it doesn't work out, because it does work out. Uh, it, It worked out for... For Pittsburgh for a little bit, they had D'Angelo Williams and Levon Bell. That combo worked perfectly. When Bell got hurt, D'Angelo Williams, he was solid for seven, eight hundred yards for a season. You know, he could hold his own easily. But nonetheless, Ezekiel Elliott, he's 10th on this list. He wants to get paid. And that's I'm pretty sure he's he's waiting for that suitable contract. I think he wants to be the highest paid running back in the league. He wants, to, he wants to eclipse that Todd Gurley contract because he knows around that time when he signs that that contract, that'll be the last good payday that he gets. So we'll see what happens. He's going to continue to hold out until he gets paid. Otherwise, he won't play like Le'Veon Bell did. So one of two things is going to happen. Either Dallas can trade for him, and then whatever other team that they, you know, They'll see it at their salary cap and consider the options, and they'll try to make him the highest-paid running back in the NFL. So I don't. We'll see what happens. I don't. I really think Zeke wants to be the highest-paid. And now they not only got that, now they got Amari Cooper, and they got Dak Prescott's contract. So and Dak Prescott's done a solid job for the most part, but we all know Dak Prescott. A lot of pressure is taken off with Zeke taking a bigger hold of the carries, getting three, four hundred yard, or not, not excuse me, not three, four hundred yard, three, four hundred rushing attempts a season, and it, it showed, you know, it shows in the stats as well. Uh, you know, with Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys are overall twenty-eight and twelve. They average three hundred sixty-two yards per game, damn near close to five yards per rushing attempt. Outscoring their opponents by 188 points. In the eight games without Zeke, they're 4-4. Four and four. They're averaging 295 yards a game. And three yards um, a carry per rush. And they're being outscored by the opposition of 36 points. So, Dak Prescott... It's gonna be iffy, cause you know, truth be told, uh he has a playoff win under his belt. They they have a division title under his belt. So he's gonna to want to get paid rightfully so. I don't know how much he's requesting. Uh he's not becoming as much as uh distraction as Zeke, neither is Amari Cooper. But you know he's he's gotta get a respectable contract. So he has every right to hold out as well, cause I you really I can't name anyone else that can really be expendable for Dak Prescott. You can't name another quarterback because Dak is he's solid for the most part. So I wouldn't say he's he's like phenomenal. Uh, he's he's a tier two quarterback, but he's not that tier one quarterback that's gonna be able to take you to the Super Bowl. You know, like like a like a Tom Brady, uh, but. We'll see. Uh, he does deserve a solid contract, but it's going to be tough to negotiate that, especially with, I think, like I said, I really think Zeke wants to be the highest paid running back. So I, I'm with it and I'm kind of against it because overall you got to think for the team as well. You want a Super Bowl, so but you want be able to split the sharings as well, but you also want to take care of yourself and the wealth and the and the the people around you as well. So you got to consider your family, and you got to know your own wealth and you got to know your own worth. So I understand that from Zeke's perspective. So, and I and you can just tell with Dallas they operate significantly different if they don't have Zeke. They just they just <clears throat> Resign Alfred Morris. And Alfred Morris is nowhere near Ezekiel Elliott talent. Talent, excuse me. Like I said, I just he, they're 28 and 12 with Zeke. They 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 just operate and function a lot better with him. The Chemistry is there between him and Dak. He takes a lot of pressure off Dak. Uh, and when when Zeke's not there, Dak has to carry that load. And he's it showed he's a five he's a 500. Percentage winning quarterback. He's four and four. So, either way, um, and with Amari Cooper, I mean, hit, picking him up from Oakland, that was huge. But he's their go to receiver. So, him getting paid, he deserves a well deserved contract as well. Um, because he was the go to guy back in Oakland, he became the go to guy in Dallas. And that's that's Dak's guy, you know what I mean? So either way, <clears throat> uh, personally, I like I said, I Zeke wants a big contract, and knowing Jerry Jones, he's very prideful and he has a big ego, like a lot of owners do. So I don't see I think you don't be surprised if Zeke goes somewhere else. Cause He's gonna want that that big contract and they're gonna to have to they're gonna it's gonna come down to just signing Dak and Amari Cooper. So and they'll have to, you know, they'll have Alfred Morris share majority of the carries with someone else and Zeke will go somewhere else. Perhaps they you know they can get a few draft picks or another key role player, whether on the offense or defense. But with Dallas Jerry Jones, he's very prideful. I don't, I don't see that deal getting done. To be honest with you. So, he he wants to get that Todd Gurley contract. He want if anything, he probably he wants around fourteen and a half, maybe fifteen mil per year, because he's still well in his prime. He's still in his mid twenties. So, and he, he Zeke is he's got probably six seven good years left in him. So, but. With that being said, I'm going to take a little break and y'all are listening to of Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to Inter-Reserve. So, UFC 241, August 17th at the Honda Center in Anahe- Anaheim, California. The main event, Daniel Cormier versus Stipe, Stipe Miocic. And the co-main event, Anthony Pettis. An infamous return of the bad boy himself, Nate Diaz. Um, first, I want to jump in right away. UFC 241 is a significant turning point for the the brand itself. Here's why. So the stipulations are... It's interesting how this might turn out to be. So as a moneymaker for future reference and possible, um, possible matches ahead... The UFC wants Daniel Cormier to win. Here's why. They want another setup of Cormier Jones 3. They want that trilogy fight. The fans want that trilogy fight, but they want the trilogy fight this time at heavyweight for the heavyweight championship. That's the money fight that everyone wants to see. Low key, the UFC's rooting for Daniel Cormier. As great as A is, Daniel Cormier has beaten everyone in his honorable goat just right behind John Jones. John Jones has beaten everybody. Daniel Cormier has beaten everybody except John Jones. People want to see this fight. They want to see a trilogy that's that's the big money grabber right there. I mean man, you look you look at their history and the beef. All the this this trail is all the way back to like 2014, 2013. Like these guys, uh, whether through Twitter or conferences or uh, you know video chats of talking trash on SportsCenter, ESPN, whatever it may be, these guys have been at each other's throats. Now it seems like everything seems calm, but that everything seems calm before the storm as well. So. Who knows? Nothing has been really said between these two via, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. But true enough, people want to see a Cormay Jones 3. Dana White hasn't hinted at anything. And I think that's. People have asked him a few times and people aren't sure. Jones has hinted at fighting that heavyweight a few times. And, and Cormay hasn't really. Said anything about it, so Cormier's getting up there in age. You know, he's he's a he's around in the curve of retirement soon. Uh, he he just turned forty this past March. Um, you know, it's crazy, man. I mean, you look at his legacy. 22-1-1. One and, one. and you know that one was a no contest. Because Jones feeling like not, uh, You know. A drug test. So I got listed to no no contest. After their uh, their second fight. I mean. Man you can't discredit. You know. We all know that's the demon that lurks. Behind Cormier's resume and his legacy. And we all know this. And he. I think low key. He, he wants to to you know break away from that curse but he just been very quiet about it cause I don't know if he just thinks he doesn't have the answers he looks at the film and he just has nothing He he's not sure what the he you know he can't find a weakness but either way Cormier's done a, a fantastic job but uh, light heavyweight champion heavyweight champion even you know even though jones had to uh, give up the title make it vacant because of his you know his little ongoing things in his personal life but true enough i mean respectfully so carmay was the late heavyweight champ he was a double champ champ so and i think john wants to do that too You know, John has nothing left to prove, really, when it comes to the light heavyweight division. No one has come close besides Cormier and uh, Alexander Gustafson. Those are the only two that come to my mind. So people want to see this trilogy fight. I sure as hell want to see it. But I don't know. I don't know but they got it's if anything it's got to happen now. It can't be a thing that's 3 4 years down the line cuz Cormay will be long gone and Jones who who knows where he'll be. But it has to happen. This is the big money fight in low key. This is what UFC wants to see. So Cormay, they they have to be the favorite. Uh, I think Dana Lowkey is is rooting for Cormay. So because just it, it's the only fight that makes sense for both these fighters. Because they, they, they dominated both divisions. And Jones is dominating the light heavyweight. And I think he wants to make his presence known. He said he wants to be regarded as a GOAT. He, I, to only make that solidify him more, is moving up in heavyweight. And what, better, what better way to cement your legacy by beating a man not once but twice. But moving up in his division... And beating him a third time and taking away his other title, like the 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 level of the epitome of like of how much it just I don't know, just I can't imagine someone beating you three times and you even went into their own weight category and beat them. It's just man, and then being a double champ and now continuing to. Make a stronger resume for you as the goat status, and taking on all challengers in the heavyweight division. So, who knows? I mean, John has—he's—he's—you uh, uh, know—he—he he just turned 32. He's still well in his prime. Turned 32 this past uh, this past month in uh, July. So. I should technically say last month, yeah. but July, uh, beat Tiago Santos, uh, split decision, phenomenal fight between those two fighters, a lot closer than people thought, I think, you know, John even said it, he underestimated him, and Tiago, he even tore his ACL, and that man was fighting with a torn ACL. You know how hard, you know how much your adrenaline is going in that fight for you to fight on a torn ACL. Every time Tiago Santos threw a kick in his ACL that he tore, it was popping in and out. And I don't know if any of y'all know this, but I tore my ACL a couple years back. And when that thing pops in and out, it's not a good feeling. That You feel it every single time. But the adrenaline rush that he was having is nuts so kudos to him that's a that's a heart of a warrior no doubt but john i mean he's beating everyone in the division you look at his record he's 25 and one and technically that one doesn't count because it was a disqualification uh that one loss was to matt hamill and it was illegal downward elbow so truth be told he's he's 27 and oh uh he does have that one no contest because of uh it was originally a KO win for Jones but it was overturned and Jones stripped of the title after testing positive for Toronto Ball so with that being said a the man virtually is 27 and all he's owned he's owned everyone in the light heavyweight division it only makes sense for him to he's he's beaten all the legends anyone you think of uh, uh, from Daniel Cormier to, uh, to Glover Teixeira to Alexander Gustafson to Chael Sonnen to Vito Belfort Rash- Rashad Evans Machida, uh Machida Mur- Murcio Shogun Rua Ryan Bader Quentin Rampage Jackson Brandon Vera uh, the dude uh, Steph Bonner this dude has been anyone and everyone that was you know that's a future Hall of Famer in the UFC now or soon to be their first ballots no doubt it, there's nothing left for this man to prove, but it only makes sense for him to improve his resume and his legacy by moving up in the division and facing Daniel Cormier for a third and final time. But imagine it, it not only would the, the, the purse for this fight be just outstandingly high and how much money they would make, I would say, man, get this thing going. Cowboy Stadium. Make it there. Make it at Jerry World. Dallas Cowboy Stadium. Um, may, man, can you imagine how much revenue you make. A jones Cormay 3 heavyweight championship on the line. John, John Jones' debut at heavyweight. Facing Daniel Cormet in his backyard. Where that's his original weight. So... It, it It's the fight that makes sense, but it all comes down to August 17th between Stipe and Daniel Cormier. Daniel Cormier has beaten everyone. He knocked out Stipe before. Um, he's beaten Derek Lewis. Uh, he's beaten Anthony Johnson, Anderson Silva, Alexander Gustafson. It, he's beaten Anthony Rumble Johnson twice. Dan Henderson, Patrick Cummins, Roy Nelson, Frank Mir. Josh Barnett, Tony Bigfoot Silva, uh, Jeff Munson. Yeah, the dude, he was a Strike Force heavyweight champion, uh, UFC heavyweight champion, uh, UFC light heavyweight champion, Olympic gold medalist. Like, dude, it, it, in wrestling, I should say. Uh, it, the man is insane. So it just, it, it only makes sense for this fight, but it just depends on. On uh, the Stipe fight. And with no regards. you know, uh, I'm not rooting against Stipe. By any means. Uh, Because Stipe. I mean. To his credit. 18 wins. Heavy hands. 14 knockouts. All those 18 dubs. 3 losses. And his last fight was Cormier. And it was back in July. So this is the last fight that he had. So it's been 13 months. So. It's crazy that he's getting a rematch thirteen months later at the last fight. You would think, you know, at least one fight. You know what I mean? But um to be fair, I mean, he did he he did successfully defend the heavyweight championship for, you know, a, a solid two year stint. Uh went beating Fabrice Oberdoom and then Overeem, and then DeSantos and then Francis Nagano, who I think will soon be a uh future heavyweight champion as well because I think with Francis Nagano he lost by decision but I think the nerves got the best of him that was his first legitimate big fight of his career so I think Francis Nagano he's learned from that so he's gonna come back stronger than ever and I think he'll be the number one guy that heavyweight division somewhere down the line because ever since then because he's lost to Derek Lewis and Stipe and I think he was just a little shaken Just after that first, his first, uh, I wouldn't say his first loss, uh, but all his losses by been by decision, but if you notice, he just gets better and better and better, so he lost back to back, excuse me, tripping over my words, he lost back to back fights to Stipe Miochik and Derek Lewis, but... Ever since then, this dude has been knocking out people. Three consecutive fights. Curtis Blades, Cain Velasquez, Junior DeSantos. So, it only makes sense. He has to get a you know a, another shot at the crown for the heavyweight championship. So, his recent fight was against DeSantos back in June. I would think what happens here on out is... Uh, it's either Nagano, I believe... Who's making a legacy of himself I mean knocking out guys like DeSantos and Velasquez And Overeem uh, Arvlosky Curtis Blades I think the, the possible outcome if, if this is what happens If Daniel Cormier beats Stipe Stipe Miocic a second time He's 40 years old I think here Here's the two Possible fights Either they'll give Nagano versus Corme, which I don't want to see because I really would have, I would, if I was a betting man, I would bet on Nagano. So I think, because Jones and Nagano are the only two fighters I see that have a legitimate chance of beating Daniel Corme. So with that being said, I want to see Corme and Jones trilogy. Depending on that outcome of that fight, if Daniel Corme pulls off the impossible, then it only makes sense for a Nagano Corme heavyweight championship bout. So this Jones Corme fight has to be first. If John Jones wins, then I want to see a Nagano John Jones. So. What they have to do, but in order to, like I said, in order for this to happen, Daniel Cormay has to beat A. Miocic, and then these time, these sequence of events, they have to follow through, and everything has to be well on board and, you know, aligned with the stars with Dana White and the teams between Cormay and Jones, and that they accept it. I mean, they, you would think that the offer that they get, it's probably going to be insane amount of money. So, and could be possibly the biggest UFC event of all time. So, Daniel Corme, the sequel events only happens if he gets this W come August 17th against Stipe Miocic. And if he gets that, um, if he gets that W, then it has to be a Jones Corme trilogy. And then after that. Like I said, depending on that outcome, it has to be a Nagano facing one of those two. So, we'll see what happens. But, um, either way... Um, these sequel events only happen if Daniel Cormier gets that W August 17th against Stipe. So... (sighs) But with that being said... (laughs) Um... Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz. Uh, I can't think of a better matchup because both. We all know the Diaz brothers love to talk a little smack, no doubt about it. But Anthony Pettis loves it. You know, he likes to talk his smack as well. Currently ranked ninth in that welterweight division. Uh, he's a bad dude. He's a bad boy. But so is Diaz. Uh, right now, you know, the last six fights, he's three and three. So he's. Uh, he's kind of, you know, he's coming off a recent victory against Stephen Thompson uh, back in March. So it was his return to welterweight. Uh, He was at light heavy, er, or excuse me, lightweight. And he didn't make his presence known, you know, back when he joined. He was uh, a force to be reckoned with when the world extreme cage fighting uh, before he got bought out by UFC was a thing. Uh, man, he was dangerous. He was beating guys uh, like uh, Benson Henderson and um, Gilbert Melendez, who was a lightweight champion in strike Strikeforce. Uh, he beat Benson Henderson not once, but twice. Um, but then, you know, he had a rough outing, losing to Rafael Desanos, uh, Eddie Alvarez, Edison Barboza, Max Holloway. But these are all guys that you know they're Hall of Fame materials. I'm not taking anything away. Anthony Pettis is definitely a future Hall of Famer. So Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz, and the last time the last time we saw good old Nate Diaz um, was the was the Conor McGregor fight when he lost by majority decision back in August of 2016. So, that was fight of the night. That was the last time we saw him in the octagon. So, you got to think. It's been three years since this last fight. Now, I know the Diaz brothers are known to, you know, they train like in the hyperbolic time chamber. These guys literally do triathlons on their quote-unquote off days when they're not training. So, that, that gives you an idea on how insane their cardio is. You know, as skinny and lengthy as they are and they're not, you know, they don't have all these muscles, this and that. That don't matter because they got a hell of a damn chin. So, I i like Nate Diaz, but golly, man, for anyone coming back to a fight three years later, that's a, man, that ring rust, that that, that wouldn't even be, that's an understatement. So, I got to have the favorite, in Anthony Pettis and I, I you know, I I don't see Stipe doing anything different to Daniel Cormier, not just because I want to see a trilogy fight between him and Jones, but Daniel Cormier, I mean, man, he—you saw him in that fight against Stipe. and he just overpowered him uh, wrestling and striking. There was nothing that Stipe could do. He dominate, and he dominates people. So that just shows you how great Daniel Cormier is. So, but with that being said. I gotta say, Daniel Cormier, and Anthony Pettis. those are my go-to guys. As much as I, you know, I appreciate both fighters, it's Stipe and Nate. But Nate, he's been gone too long. Uh, three years, that's a lot of ring rust, man. I don't see him. There's, God, as great as he is and his cardio is insane, three years outside the octagon, that's gonna, that's gonna, that's, he's at a disadvantage. Stipe's last fight was against Daniel Carmay. Uh, july of 2018 so it's been 13 months so as i said he does deserve a uh a title shot but you would think within that 13 month period you would at least schedule at least one fight possibly uh, possibly two uh, but i would think a minimum at least one to stay relevant stay to you know Uh, just to stay active to keep your body in that fighting shape i'm not saying he hasn't been training but you know it's just it's different you know if you've been out been out not fighting for so long so 13 months and three years for nate so i give those guys credit nonetheless so but that's why they're professional fighters and i'm not so but Daniel Cormay, Anthony Pettis, those are my go-to picks for UFC 241 come August 17th. Honda Center, Anaheim, California. And as I said, as I said, um, As I said, and what I think a lot of people want to see, a Jones Cormet trilogy. But Cormet has to get that W first against Stipe. And we'll see how things unravel after that and see what Dana White has to say. But he's pretty good at arranging these type of scenarios. So we'll see. We'll see how things play out. We'll see what kind of you know Twitter war that we'll see between Cormay and Jones possibly if he gets this W. If Cormay possibly does another call out. Who knows? But either way. Um all this has doesn't happen unless Cormay gets that W. But with that being said That's uh, the last topic of the day I appreciate y'all listening in And continue to listen in uh, Again uh, shout out to people down in El Paso My hearts, my prayers, my condolences and El Paso, Texas Is literally my second home uh, It was definitely uh, heartbroken When I got the news when I got out of work Saturday To see that So, But um, with that being said uh, episode, uh, This episode blah, 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 Excuse me uh this episode is concluded i'm tripping over my words today so but i hope everyone has a great rest of their week happy tuesday and i'll talk to y'all later